Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Good morning and welcome to on this beautiful Lord's Day, first uh, Lord's Day in spring of this year. Great, great weather outside and it's good to see everybody here. Let's open in prayer. Father God, as we look into the book of Ecclesiastes, Father, your, your holy inspired word, help us to see how we should live in this crazy world that's around us, Father. Help us to listen to and heed to your wisdom, your wisdom that was recorded, recorded so many years ago that is recorded for our benefit here today. Lord, help us to uh, apply it to our daily walk with you. May you speak to us through it and bless this time that we have together in your word. And Lord, may we be doers of the word, not just hearers only. We ask this in Jesus' name and for your glory, Father. Amen. We uh, started the book of Ecclesiastes back in October of 2020. We completed the first four chapters, and then the holiday season came upon us with Thanksgiving, followed by the Advent Sundays, and then Christmas and the New Year's. And lately, we had a guest speaker who did a few character studies, which were very interesting, and followed by a short study in the Apostles Paul's letter to Titus, which is basically our conduct manual. What we're going to do since our original course of study changed so much, what I'm going to try to do today is try to review the first four chapters that we went over and give a short summary of the chapters from 5 through, tw uh, five through 11 and then actually go through chapter 6, which actually is a conclusion to the book. And so I've titled this today, The Preacher's Conclusion. So you're not going to hear from me for a while. So uh, our study today will start off by looking at some of the review of chapter 1. And if you were here for that, I remembered it was entitled The Preacher's Breath. And, and throughout the book, we discovered that the preacher was on a mission to find fulfillment, to find satisfaction in life by exploring all that this world has to offer. Now, writing in his sunset years of his life, he was looking back on this journey and was giving advice to the people who were young and to his son and those younger than himself. And he starts off with the conclusion that we just heard before, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Life, he describes it, it, is like a breath, like a vapor. It's here for a moment, then it's gone. We can't hold it, can't cling to it, we can't grasp it, and it disappears very quickly in front of us. Man's activities are fleeting or transitory. Man's experiences are futile or meaningless. And the deep mysteries of life and of God sometimes go unanswered as we see them. And life, as we saw there, is repetitive. The sun, the rain move. Life is unfulfilling, and life can be boring. In chapter 2, the preacher attempts to find satisfaction and investigations of all the earthly pleasures of life. He investigates wine, alcohol, say. Human achievements, he starts building things. Riches, which he's had many of. Entertainment and even sex. And finds no fulfillment in any of them. And he talks of the vanity of human wisdom and the vanity of human effort. 
and the vanity of human achievement. In chapter 3, he looked at time and the events of time, the different seasons, how they come and go and how they move along, how the seasons change, how they come and go. They can't be slowed. They can't be stopped. You can't store them up. And, top, and on top of this, he said that God has set a certain element of time in everyone's heart, and that's called eternity. A sense that there's a future time to come after death that will not end. Also, the preacher declares that God has set a future time specifically for judgment. In chapter 4, which was entitled The Preacher's Observations, he observes and comments on the oppression that was around him, the problems of labor, the problems in relationships, the problems of working alone and how it's the betterment of having companionship. He speaks of the vanity that's in prestige, popularity, and advancement and how they were like chasing the wind, striving after the wind. In chapter 5, we see that our, what our attitude toward God should be and that the folly there is in following after riches, the problems that riches cause in our lives and how easily all that one has acquired can disappear. The more we have, the more we want. The more we have, the more we spend. The more we have, the more we worry, and the more we have, the more we're able to lose. And the more we have, the more we will leave behind. Can't take it with us. Chapter 6 goes on to speak about the futility of life, that even if one has a long life, what good is it if you can't enjoy it? If you haven't enjoyed those years that God has given you, what good is it? Then the preacher starts building towards his conclusion that God alone is in control of everything. And our understanding of the present and the future is very limited. Chapter 7, he goes into speaking of the value of having a good name. The value of pondering and thinking about and meditating on death a little bit. It's better to go to a funeral than to go to a feast. The value of learning in times of adversity can't be replaced with those of learning in, in, in pleasant times. You don't get the same meaning out of it, the same value. He tells us to embrace sorrow over laughter. Tells us to embrace rebuke over praise. Sounds similar to the things in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, where it talks about blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Life doesn't all add up sometimes. We cannot know the best paths to take. Our wisdom is limited. Chapter 8 goes on and he talks about obeying the king. It also goes on to realize that there's injustice in the world. And the righteous seem to sometimes get what the wicked deserve and the wicked seem to get what the righteous deserves. And we can't understand this. Chapter 9, he declares his one faith for all men, and that's death. 
And we are to know, we really don't know, I should say, how long we have to live. So he tells us to work hard, enjoy life, because we don't know how long we all have here. The end is coming. So we should recognize that death is coming and live our lives differently because of it. We should live our lives differently because we have an end. We know death is coming. Embrace the time that the Lord has given us. Celebrate every day. This is the day the Lord has made. What does he say? We are to rejoice in it. May not turn out the way we wanted it to, but be grateful for it. Grateful for each day we have. In chapter 10, he continues a collection of Proverbs on wisdom and folly. Some of these phrases are commonly used today, such as from verse 1, it says, As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so does a little folly outweigh wisdom and honor. Meaning, basically, a small amount of folly can have big consequences, bad, big, bad consequences. And from this, we sometimes get the phrase that there's, there's a fly in the ointment. I don't know if you've heard of it, a fly in the ointment. Verse 20 states that, Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird in the sky may carry your words and the bird on the wing may report what you say. And the meaning here is, again, don't say something in private that you wouldn't say in public. Which gives rise to the response of people when they are surprised by something you knew that they thought was a secret. And they ask you, how did you know that? And what's the reply? A little birdie told me. Right? First part of chapter 11 continues with these proverbs, looking at investments or business ventures of things we do. Verse 2 states, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. Basically, it's telling us to diversify our efforts. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, seems to say. And he continues with practical advice on living. And he addresses the youth to be happy while you're young. Enjoy your youth thoroughly. And in fact, it's almost a command to enjoy, to rejoice at this time in life. And if you think about it, by not doing what God tells you to do, you're disobeying him. So you are to enjoy your youth. Just don't do it recklessly. Keep pure. Don't sin. Keeping in mind the warning that is in verse 9. But know that all these things God will bring you into judgment. In other words, be careful how you party. Remember that youth does not last forever. And verse 10 of that chapter states, childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. We are now into chapter, eight, uh, chapter 12, which is our study for today. That was a little bit of a summary. I hate to jump from 4 to 12 without at least covering a little bit what's in ahead of that because it gets things all out of context and you really don't get the meaning. But here is his total investigation of life. Now in chapter 12, he continues by addressing to the youth. It says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before trouble comes and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in that. 
We understand that many young people, as we once were ourselves, easily put off their serious relationship with God. They're lacking in experience. They feel indestructible. We often, and we do the same thing ourselves sometimes, we feel indestructible. We're often too busy exploring uh, new freedoms or independence at that time in our life than to think about God. The longer one waits, though, the less one will desire him. And I think there's pretty good statistics about that, about children coming to know the Lord early in their lives. We need his wisdom before major life decisions are made. Some of these early decisions that will set the foundation for our lives and the decisions cannot be undone. And they'll alter our whole life thereafter. So we're reminded here, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Get right with God before the trouble comes because rest assured the trouble will come. And notice his command here basically is to remember your creator. He doesn't say remember God. He says remember your creator. God is our creator. This truth positions us to truths about God and us. Who we are. I'm going to repeat that. This truth positions us to truths about God and us. God is the creator. We are the creation. We are creatures. Creator, creation. Creator, creation. Understanding that can have a radical impact on how we live and should have a radical impact on how we live. God made us. God made you. He made the world, all that's in it. We were all creatures, his creatures. He made us, his creatures. We get ourselves into trouble sometimes when we try to take control. When we think that we're our own gods, that we're destined, or make our own destinies. We think the world centers around me, capital M-E, uh, I'm sometimes baffled and amazed by this selfie world that we live in. I don't know about you, but it bothers me. Here's the world, right? See me, world. See who I'm with. See what I'm doing today. See what I'm eating. It's all about me. Here, world, see me. Look at my life. Look how I'm living. Tell me how that works out for you. Remember who God is. He's in control. He is the creator and who we are. Remember the fact that he gives us the very breath we breathe each and every day. He creates that heartbeat that keeps us alive. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Verse 2 goes on to tell us that the sun before the sun and the, let and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, 
So this is when we remember God, we remember our creator before these things occur. And this is a reminder of the fact that, number one, he is the creator and he's made us and he's in control of all these things. He says, commit to the creator before you get old, before the twilight years come, before the aging process takes place in you. And in verse 3 and on, he starts talking about this aging process very poetically. He states, remember this before. Before. On the day, verse 3 I'm looking at now, on the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and the strong men are bent over and the grinders stop working because they are few and those who look through the windows grow dim. Now when he's talking about the watchmen of the house or the... uh, the keepers of the house, some translations say, it's referring to your arms or your, your hands. It's your strength, the things you use to, to defend or provide. As we get old, what happens? We start having some shakes sometimes. We start having some tr- trembles, or maybe we start straining when we're doing things. Sometimes chores that were very easily when we're very easily done when we were young become harder to do, whether it's opening a jar or swinging a wrench, getting it where it could, they become harder to do. Talks about strong men are bent over as we get old. What happens? We begin to walk a little bent over. Our knees, our shoulders, we seem to lose our strength. We tend to be hunched back a little bit as we get older. It further describes the grinders stop working because they are few. Probably figure out what that means. We start losing our teeth. It becomes harder to chew and break down our food and to aid in the digestion process. And without gr- chewing our food well, what happens? We get gastro problems. It goes on to describe those who look through the window grow dim. Speaking about our eyesight getting worse. It's harder to see clearly. The cones and the rods in our eyes degenerate. Seeing at night becomes more difficult. Glare becomes a problem. Our vision becomes weak and blurry. We squint and strain to try to focus our eyes on things. You've got to remember, this stuff was written about 931 B.C. People didn't have corrective lenses. Otherwise, I'd be in trouble right now. Verse 4 goes on to say, And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of the song will sing softly. Think of the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. As we age, what happens? Our hearing starts going. If, uh, if you're in a room and another door is shut to keep things privately, the conversation in the other room, you can't hear as well. You can't hear the, the grinding going on. Our conver- conversations become harder to hear. Our hearing gets, gets worse. I could testify that. The other day I had a hearing test. And what do you lose? Higher pitches usually start first. You lose the S sound, the CH sounds. We strain at having, hearing conversations, especially if there's other noise in the room. 
background noise can distort, especially clinging and maybe even TV noise, whatever. So we start losing our hearing. And one will arise at the sound of a bird. Sounds like that's almost contradictory, but it's talking about the fact that when we get older, it's, it's harder to sleep well. When you're young, my son was a good example of this. It'd be hard as heck to try to wake him up in the morning. He slept so soundly, he could bang pots next to him, he wouldn't get up. But when we get older, just the bird chirping in the morning is enough to wake us up. Or it's enough to keep us from sleeping well at night when we're trying to go to sleep. All the daughters of song will sing softly. We start losing strength to our voices. Our voices start maybe to quiver or maybe we start straining. We don't speak or sing as loud as we used to. And the older we get, it seems more this becomes prevalent. Verse 5 reads this, Furthermore, people are afraid of the high place and, and, of, and of terror on the road. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while the mourners move around in the street. People are afraid of a high place. As we get older, we don't like climbing ladders. We don't like walking along the roof edge. Cleaning gutters out in the fall can become a difficult and hazardous and dangerous job as you get older. We're afraid of the heights. Afraid of terrors on the road. Now, I don't think the preacher had in, in mind driving on the LIE or around Long Island's road, but think about it. As we get older, we don't want to drive at night. We don't want to go out in the bad weather. We don't want to go out in the snow. And that may be true. Probably what he had in mind here, though, is the fact that going on a journey, especially if you're old and elderly and weak, weaker, you become susceptible to what? Robbers. Susceptible to those who would take advantage of you. The terrors on the road. And the almond trees blossom. Almond trees blossom. What color are the almond trees when they blossom? white, color of our hair. This is what happens. If we have any left, it usually turns white as we get older. And it talks about the grasshopper drags itself along and the caperberry is ineffective. Ever notice that summertime when the grasshoppers are around it, how quickly they jump. It's very hard to catch them. They jump all over the place. They move quickly. It's very difficult to get rid of them and catch them get them out of the house. But as fall comes, what happens? They seem to slow down a lot. They almost go dormant. They come a lot easier to catch. Kind of like they lose their vigor, their desire to be as active as they were earlier in the season. Our aging process is much like that as we get old. We're not as active. Our appetites may diminish. We have a decline in strength and health, which leads eventually to death. And the caperberry is ineffective. You think of all the vitamins 
all the herbal remedies, all the medicines of the world cannot cure the ultimate end of our life, which is death. We, as we age, are being unmade, if you think about it. We're deteriorating. We're being unmade. For man goes to his eternal home while the mourners move around in the street. Obviously a picture of a funeral or a wake. So here again we're reminded in verse 6 to remember your creator. Before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed or shattered, the pitcher by the spring is, sh is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Here again, a warning. Remember your creator. We've got four images here of what the end of life or what death is like. It's like a broken cord, a crushed bowl maybe, a, a shattered pitcher or a crushed cistern wheel. These objects are fallen or broken or crushed or shattered. Things of beauty or things of necessity are destroyed or broken or becoming inoperable. Again, perhaps the silver cord was something that was holding up the bowl itself. Perhaps a, a, a bowl full of uh, oil in that day of light or of some sort that was burning that giving light in the room. The cord gets old. It gets frayed. It snaps or breaks from the weight of it. And the light that was in the bowl, the golden bowl maybe, falls, breaks, and the light's extinguished. You have a pitcher that was used to run down through the spring or river to get water. It's, it's broken. You can't bring any water back. And at the cistern, the wheel that you would use to drop the bucket into the well to get water, if it's not working right, if it's broken or crushed, you're not going to get water out of the well. So we have here pictures of things that were needed to preserve life, to have life, being broken, shattered. These are like illustrations of death. No light, no water. And it goes right into verse 7 by showing this to be human life when he says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Another clear reference back to the creator, possibly from Genesis 2-7, which states this, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed breath into his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living being. And Genesis 3-19, again speaking of the creator and creation, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Verse 8 goes on to say, Futilities of futilities, says the preacher, all is futility, or vanities of vanities, all is vanity. The book ends the same way with that conclusion that it started off with. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. Human effort, human endeavor, human wisdom, 
Now, we're talking about apart from God's fear of God in your life is really meaningless. In verses 9 and 10, the preacher describes his authority and qualifications in, in his writing here, and he's careful to weigh and search out with diligence the things he wrote down, finding a pleasant way or an easy way of understanding these things with us without sacrificing any truth in them. Verses 9 and 10 state this, and in addition to being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. He pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. These words were written for our benefit, for our pleasure to live life in, to the fullest in truth. And again, for all of us, I hope we find God's word to be delightful, to be pleasurable, to be life-changing. Verses 11 and 12, it states this, the words of the wise are like goads, and masters of these collections are like driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and the excessive study is wearing to the body. First part of those verse, the words of the wise are like goads, and masters of these collections are like driven nails, and they are given by one shepherd. These wise words are given by one shepherd. If you notice there in the text that the S is a capital, capital S, the understanding to be the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord gave these wise words. These wise words are like what describes them as goads. Now goads were used by herd drivers to control the path of a group of, group of animals. They would be like rods with a sharp points on the end of them. And they were used to poke or prod to direct the animal's path to either the right or the left to avoid danger or to get them moving when they're not moving quick enough. Give them a little sharp point there. The only way for the animals now to avoid feeling this pinch or this poke or this amount of pain would be to what? Go the direction that the shepherd wanted you to go. Words to the wise are like goads. He goes on to say that they, they're like nails that are driven. Now we know nails are sharp, but when you take a nail and you drive it into something, it's usually steadfast if it's into good wood. It's usually very hard to get out, almost immo immovable. It's used to do what? Hold things together to support something maybe or to keep things secure. Words to the wise. If you have a collection of them, that's what the words to the wise are like. And given by one shepherd. All true wisdom only comes from God. All true wisdom only comes from God. He is the alone source to it. His wisdom 
should control our paths. They should keep us safe if we're headed and, and safe and in the right direction that we're headed. And they should be solid. Verse 12 says, Beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless. An excessive study is wearing to the body. Those who have gone through those light nights of college understands that excessive study is weary to the body, sometimes falling asleep in front of those books. The preacher warns here his son against basically other sources of wisdom and perhaps too much knowledge. You know, the world has an endless supply of self-help books, of how to succeed books, or, you know, the ones of years ago, how to make friends and influence people. On how we should live our lives. Everybody's got advice for you. We're constantly told that you know, education and science will fix all the world's problems. Hear that a lot today with the virus. Follow the science, follow the science. I'm not saying that's bad. But I'm going to ask you this, though. Will science wash away sin? Will science lead people to a, a, a second birth, a birth from above? Will science provide or education provided eternal life. We're told to educate, educate, and educate, which is not a bad thing, but again, too much of it makes one weary. And he's almost saying, you're looking at the wrong stuff, my, my son. A quote by, uh, I believe it was attributed to Thomas Paine years ago, said the, the road to hell is paved with Ivy League degrees. Real truth is in God's wisdom. His wisdom alone and not worldly wisdom. And now the conclusion, verses 13 and 14. When everything has been heard, it's this. Fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. How, how simple is that phrase? The result of a lifelong search and looking back on his life by the wisest and probably wealthiest and most powerful and knowledgeable person on earth at that time is summed up in these words. So simple are the words that even a, a child can learn them and understand them. Fear God and keep his commandments. You see, our life is centered around a relationship to our creator. And that's everyone's life such reverence and worship and obedience and service is every person's duty. You see, it says here, it's better said this way, that this applies to every person. Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Many around us have no clue to this really life-giving and eternal truth. And it comes 
from the preacher to show us what total satisfaction in life is. He went through all of this explanation prior to this to show us what satisfaction is in life. And it's to fear God and to keep his commandments. That's where real satisfaction is in life. It's not about us. It's about our relationship with our creator. Holding God in holy reverence. Being struck, struck by his awe, by his all-consuming holiness, is every person's responsibility. And that's emphasized if you look at the next verse because he says God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Now we tend to look at that as being a future event which will occur, and indeed it is. As Christians, though, we know this applies to us here and now, too. And sometimes God's got to use that goad to correct us and prod us as we go along. But death being the great equalizer, as we said before, who else? What else is the great equalizer here? Judgment. Judgment is also the great equalizer to all. Every act, every deed, every thought will be judged of every person. Someday unbelievers will be standing in front of the great white throne. We as believers will be in front of the bema seat of Christ and we'll all give account. Hopefully for us as Christians, Lord willing, we'll be able to cast many crowns at his feet for what he's done. Done in our lives. Done through us. Casting our crowns at his feet. Now the study of Ecclesiastes has been teaching us to live a full, enjoyable life. God-fearing. Shaped by the fact that we're aging and we're going to die. And that future is in store for all of us if the Lord tarries. That death is inevitable. And we should all live our lives considering that. We know that all our sins have been paid for in full because of what Christ did on the cross. We know what our future holds. How then shall we live knowing what a glorious future that we do have? Our life on earth may only be 70, 80, whatever years God has given to us. And we know that's going to end. We know we have eternity ahead of us for that. But how are we living even now? Is our future, short term and long term, shaping how you live today? Do you let God's word act like those goads to prick and prod you along the way? Does it humble you? Does it humble your pride? Does it change how you do things, your courses of action? Does God's wisdom change your priorities and how you think? Knowing this future, what our future is, should affect how we live each day. Let's close in prayer.
Father God and Creator, help us live today with the joy that you want each of us to have, Father, in each day that you give us. Lives that are full, enjoying all the good that you have given to each one of us. Help us to live our lives in view of what our future is, Father. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.